You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, it's Max. Before we get started, I want to tell you quickly about a sponsor make it today's show possible. It's Autumn, A-U-D-M. Autumn is an app that uh, if you're listening to the long form podcast, I can't imagine it is not relevant to your interests. Autumn is an app that uh, makes audio versions of the best long form journalism. They hire uh, incredible professional actors to read the articles that we're talking about on this show all the time. They work with The New Yorker, with The Atlantic, with The New Republic. They just started working with The New York Times. And it allows you to consume these articles uh, wherever you are, on your headphones. Go to audm.com. Really is the exact product that people who listen to this show would be interested in. And uh, the show starts right now. Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with just one co-host. Evan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Max. What's on your mind today, Max? <laughs> yeah, I'm having, uh, I'm having a day. <laughs> Evan, I'm having a day, man. Uh, That's not going to stop the show. Aaron Lambert being on the road, not going to stop the show. Definitely not. No, we, 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 we go forward. Whether it's a normal day or a shit day, we'll put out the podcast. I think uh, that's, what, that's one of the things people appreciate. I'll tell you what, this podcast was recorded on a significant day. Uh, the guest is Nick Kwa. Nicholas Kwa. Nick Kwa. He's, he's the uh, proprietor of the Hot Pod newsletter. He uh, Hot Pod is a, a newsletter about the podcast industry. Nick also writes criticism for Vulture. Uh, he is like, uh, I would say he's he's the leading podcast writer, journalist, chronicler. He he invented podcast criticism. Sort of. I mean, he he created a a business and a form and a column all in one, as far as I can tell. All in one. He's a, he's a one person. Well, now he's got a couple of people doing it with him, but uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's a journalist. He's a critic. He wears a lot of hats. Uh, I will. I should also say I was there at uh, the genesis of Hot Pod, uh, or at least I was around when talking to him about it when he was thinking about starting it. Uh, so I've known Nick for a long time, but he came in on, uh, like I was saying, like an important day, mm-hmm. which was... Uh, we talked in the evening, and the following morning, he was leaving the East Coast, where he has lived uh, for many years, and he was moving to uh, the far west. He was moving to Idaho, and he came in, and he, I think he, I think he wanted to um, make some sense of his time in like the East Coast media world, and uh, so it, it, this one's a nostalgic one. It's personal. Uh, he and I know each other pretty well. Uh, but he has had a, I think, like quite unique uh, career thus far. He's a young person, uh, but he's he's really like found this path in you know the 2010s media world uh, that's pretty specific and pretty unique. So we talked about it, and also uh, we talked a little bit about about feelings. So what you're saying is this is this episode is Nick Qua's "Why I Left New York" letter. I mean, I like I can't quite remember. And I certainly don't know whether we edited it out, but I definitely made that joke like 15 <laughs> times. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, this is, this is Nick's uh, goodbye to all that. Max, if you had a message that you wanted to send out to the world about okay. your time, the time that you're having. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm thinking about it. There's a lot of mediums you could go with, 
But to me, the email newsletter is the appropriate format for such a message. As Nick found, he started a whole business off a newsletter. You can do that. You can just be a uh, personal thing that you're sending to a couple dozen people, or it can be an entire empire like HotPod. This is what is available to you via the email newsletter. And uh, if you're going to do one, you should do it with MailChimp. Thank you, MailChimp. Now here's Max with Nicholas Qua. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Welcome to the uh, podcast. I am been looking forward to this for a very long time. <laughs> well, uh, me too, man. Me too. I feel like um, it's a momentous one because you were um, you were saying goodbye to all that tomorrow mm-hmm. morning. Yeah, I turned thirty yesterday, and I'm moving out of the East Coast tomorrow. You are leaving New York City and the media world behind. I'm leaving New York City tonight on a train to New Haven, where I live. Getting in a car tomorrow morning and driving away from the East Coast, away from the media industry. How do you feel? I feel great. You ready to go? I've been ready for years. <laughs> I've been so tired of this place for so long. <laughs> what, are you, what are you tired of? I don't know how, obviously, I know a lot of people who love New York and we're drawn here for whatever the reason, art, media, commerce, et cetera, et cetera. I came here and all I saw was this is a country, this is a city that I will never belong to. And it's, I'm going to get mine, then I'm going to fuck out. <laughs> that, that was your plan from the start? Not really. It took me a while to figure that out. I, I moved here with very little, as far as plans go. And I'm not American, so I also came, moved here without a long-term visa. <laughs> and I, I also moved to New York not knowing what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to stay in this country because I'm fascinated by America. I've always been... And I want to sort of find ways to keep playing the game as long as I can. And so it was only a couple of years in when I started sort of internalizing and assessing the values that people here, that the city, that the world kind of imports upon to you about New York, about the media industry, about America, that I began to sort of figure out whether this is actually for me. And I think the answer is no. Can you, uh, can you describe those values? A lot of it has to do with wealth. A lot of it has to do with recognition, prestige. A lot of it has to do with proximity to power and culture and activity and, and the assumption that New York has all of it. And I'm like, I got the best version of these things through the media systems anyway. Like, I get all of this through television and the movies and physically being here is incredibly painful because I'm not only am I really, really far away from home, I'm from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia originally. I, I just like, I, a lot of times just wonder if it was worth it. Worth it to come here at all? Worth it to take all the pain. I mean, do you care about those things? Money and uh, power and prestige? I think I do. I don't know if I do. I, I guess that's sort of why I asked for these interviews because like, I need a, I wanted a place to figure out what the past nine years of my life meant. Well, I'm glad that you said that. I wasn't going to say that, that um, you like quite formally asked to do this. I did, yeah. But you did. I Okay. The reason why I formally asked to do this is because I've been listening to this podcast for a long time. In fact, I will say that like, it is one of the first podcasts they sort of put me on this path of like maybe I would really want to sort of think about podcasts professionally maybe I could just do something around that and I have like a ton of theories on how this show works I have a ton of theories on how interview shows work I have a ton of theories about how you specifically as an interviewer work and I want to go through this the process with you because I think it, it should be an interview a very good one should be some sort of discovery healing process should All be right. in a form of public therapy well listen man you know you know I'm in for some public therapy let's go all right so there's two things that I think we should tackle first. One of them is like the origin story of Hot Pod because I have a narrative about it, but I'm not actually sure it's true. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> let's just get back to um, pain associated yep. with power and uh, prestige and, and yep. money for a second. What is that pain? So, so what has been so hard being here? Um, this is a relatively recent realization, but like... I've been in this country for 11 years now, 11 years as of three weeks ago. So middle of July was when I first moved here in 2008 for college. And at the time I left my home to pursue opportunity because that's what you do as a, I don't know, as an aspiring, as an immigrant anywhere, as a, as a sort of middle class and upwardly mobile person uh, in Malaysia, which is where I'm from. You kind of want to get your degree either in Australia or the UK, or if you're really, really weird, you come to the States like myself. And 
it only occurred to me, or I've only come to the realization uh, not so long ago that like I gave up an entire life where I was from, and I have a tremendous amount of guilt about that. Like I'm not actively participating in my family's life anymore. Like I'm not actively participating in the community where I'm from and where I feel like the most like myself. And I am wondering if this was worth it. Do you feel guilty like to yourself or to your family? Mostly to my family, I think. But to my, I guess to some extent to myself. I had a very specific image of who I wanted to be for a while. Who was that? Before I came to the States, I was supposed to go to the UK to be a lawyer. You'd been a good lawyer. I've been a great lawyer. <laughs> I had an offer to go to study in King's College London to be a barrister. I knew exactly the law that I wanted to do, uh, essentially criminal justice. I knew that I was going to go get this law degree, come back home, and practice, and just try to get involved in politics, try to participate in the sort of further development of civic society in Malaysia, which was I was very, very passionate about politics when I was a teenager. But I also had this habit. I also had this hobby. I loved making movies on the cheap when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. And uh, one day I was walking around my A-levels college and I saw this flyer for Wednesday University, which is where I went, which is where you went. True. And I was like, I've got an hour to kill. Let me check out this info session. Checks out this info session and they start talking about the very strong film program. Oh yeah, you got the, they got you with the film department. And uh, I was going to write movies. Uh, I was going to work in the film industry. This is what I wanted to do. And then I got here and I realized that like you need a lot more money than I had to, to just even try. And uh, because I am my, my father's son, and my father's extremely analytical and very risk-oriented, I decided like, nope, let's just pivot right now. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I'm going like, to find a way to, to stay here to sort of figure out how I can contribute and how I can, who I'm supposed to become. So you get out of Wesleyan. Come to New York. I didn't. I had a short stop over in Chicago. Okay. There was the sort of the essential question, what are you going to do with uh, your life? So I applied for graduate school <laughs> and I spent a year in the University of Chicago. What were you studying? So I was actually pursuing uh, some sort of studies around sociology and urban sociology. I was really interested in criminal criminology and sort of statistics and it's sort of intersection of law enforcement, that kind of stuff. And then you come to New York and... Uh come to the uh, the seat of power, prestige, and money. Absolutely. And it beats the shit out of you? I guess, yeah. I think that's like... <laughs> so, at the time I had met my now wife, um, and at, at some point we both decided like we're going to move to New York, and because that's what... Literally, I just saw I just saw the email that I wrote at the time, because that's what young people do, is that we go to New York and we figure shit out. And what did you want then? Like, when you came to New York, what did you want? A reason to be here. I don't know what I want it, but I want it. Something. I think it's like the old paradox. I don't know what I want, but I want it now. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think of yourself, you and I had coffee. 2014, I believe. So when did you get here? The uh, summer of 2013. Okay. So you'd been here for like a little less than a year, I think, yeah. when we met. My experience of you then was that, um, yeah, maybe like you didn't know exactly what you wanted, but you wanted it pretty bad. Yeah. It's not too different from where I am now, to be honest. Well, we should talk about that too. But I want to stick in that moment for a second because I feel like there are just a lot of people listening probably who have like showed up here, wanted to be in media in some way. I think you were working for Business Insider. Uh, not yet. When we met, not yet. Yeah. yeah. Like you were looking for jobs. I was looking for jobs. And my experience of you at least was like pretty ambitious, mm-hmm. but also not sure of really what you wanted to be doing, but like pretty clear that you like wanted to make a mark of some kind. Yeah. I wanted to mean something, if that makes sense. I, I've, I've given up so much, right? Like I, I sort of, I'm so far from home and there had to be a reason. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you had to you had to like um make the bet pay out somehow. I want to make sure that this was a mistake. So quickly, kind of walk me through so that's twenty fourteen. Walk me through the next like, I don't know, three years. I started Hot Pod not too long after we hung out the first time. 
And I was already working at Business Insider, my first media job. What was your job? I was writing a newsletter for their intelligence product called Business Insider Intelligence. Not sure if it exists anymore. I don't, I, I don't know. And I was writing daily newsletters about the e-commerce industry. And it was journalism. Like it wasn't, you weren't in like the content marketing department, right? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you de- define by journalism. <laughs> it's basically content aggregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah. like, yeah, not different from what I do. So you were there and then you went to BuzzFeed? I went to BuzzFeed for a while. Yeah. What uh, were you doing at BuzzFeed? I was working on the mobile news app. Like working in product? Was writing uh, a morning newsletter, helping write, I should clarify, and trying to help work on their product thing because I wanted. To, I felt like I wanted to learn that kind of thing. It was interesting to me. What were your experiences like in those jobs? Like, did, did you feel like you were getting where you wanted to get to? No. Why not? Um, it might sound like a very entitled millennial, but it it's kind of like you're you're made to do a task, but I didn't know why, and I didn't know what was the point, and um, I didn't know where this was all going to, and I also I guess I didn't know what to learn from it. All those experiences were really important. Uh, I should note from uh, just a skills development perspective. With the Business Insider job, I learned how to write really quickly in a newsletter. I learned how to sort of like look at a news item and go like, okay, these are the really important things to know about it. Because I just didn't have any formal education in, in journalism, it just helped me go on this path of like continuous production. So that was my Business Insider experience. With BuzzFeed, that was a really weird time. I mean, those are like boom BuzzFeed years. Yeah, those was peak BuzzFeed years. Yeah, yeah, yeah boom yeah. times. Yeah. I should say I got fired. For what? I was not good at my job. Really? Yeah. I was not good at my job and I was depressed about it. <laughs> I was not good at my job. I'm a horrible employee. <laughs> what, how did that manifest? So I was put on morning newsletter assignment. I was supposed to write a morning newsletter. And that involves like basically aggregating other news sites or within BuzzFeed. And I didn't know what the right protocol was. I think I did too many things that skirted the line of like, you're just reprinting what they're doing. But again, and maybe this is not a worthwhile defense, but like I literally did not know what the difference was. And I think that I think also that the team leader had a sense that like it, I was not happy there. And so I got cut. And I, a lot of ways, I also still feel tremendous guilt and shame about that. What was that conversation like? Do you remember it? I actually don't remember how I began, but I remember there was a period of like, we have to review like the newsletters that you did. And I'm like, wait, what did I do wrong? And then I didn't get a clear answer until like I got my marching orders, which is like, oh, basically plagiarism, which is like the number one thing that journalists like are not supposed to do. And I didn't know it, I did it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know that this is not, but, and I just, I had, I still have a tremendous amount of shame about it because I really wanted to do a good job despite the fact that I was unhappy. Because at the time I had sort of made a deal with myself that like, you know, you're an adult, fuck it up, doesn't matter how you feel, just do your fucking job. But I guess it wasn't enough and I got my marching orders, but at the time Hot Pod was already well alive and kicking. Yeah. And so at least I had something to occupy myself with. But you weren't charging for a Hot Pod yet, right? No, it was, it was just a side project. I had started it when I was in Business Insider it came out shortly after the apex of the first season of Serial. And uh, it was a thing that I did on the weekends. At first, I was doing it during work hours. And by the day, the VI me aside, like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, I'll just push it through the weekend. I'm going to put Nick on hold for just a second. I want to tell you about a sponsor. Let's make a today's show possible. And this is a sponsor that I think is uh, relevant to your interests. It's Autumn. Autumn is an app, A-U-D-M, that uh, allows you to listen to the best long-form journalism in the world. Listen to the best long-form journalism in the world, not read. They hire professional actors to read articles, and then you can listen to them just like you listen to podcasts. You can listen to them uh, while you're running or while you're doing the dishes or on your commute or whenever uh, you like to listen to things. Now you can listen to long-form journalism. And here's the thing. It's not just any long-form journalism. It's the best long-form journalism. Autumn has partnered with the world's best magazines, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The New Republic. They're even working uh, with The New York Times. 
right now. Yeah, the New York Times. And so you can go to Autumn, this app, and listen to all those articles that you've been meaning to read that clearly you have interest in because you're listening to this show. They are the exact articles that we're talking about on this show all the time. You can listen to them on your own time. It's really, uh, it's a great idea. I'm really impressed that they have been able to partner with the likes of the New Yorker and places like that. It's um, it's not easy to do that. And I think the reason they've been able to do it is because, A, the product is good, but B, it just makes so much sense. It's another way to serve those readers who are, uh, you know, you. So go check it out. Go to autumn.com, A-U-D-M.com. You got, you got nothing to lose and uh, lots to listen to. Also sponsoring the show this week, Bear. Bear knows that behind every breakthrough are people who dared to move the world forward. It's human ingenuity that drives progress. Time and time again, we keep doing things, like we, humanity, keep doing things that couldn't be done. The sky was the limit until we walked on the moon. It took weeks to communicate before it took a fraction of a second. So what's next? Bear is working with farmers to shape the future of agriculture. Farms where all life grows together, tools that help plants and farmers use less water. What we can achieve is simply an extension of what we can imagine, you guys. We've been proving it for thousands of years. That's why Bayer is driven to find even better answers to today's best solutions. When we're brave enough to challenge what hasn't been done, we discover the science behind what's yet to come. That science for a better life. Thanks, Bayer, for sponsoring the show. Let's get back to Nick. What was the relationship between how you felt working at BI and at BuzzFeed and how you felt writing that newsletter? Um, it felt like me. The newsletter felt like you. It, yeah, it felt... There's a way that I tell this story when people ask me, like, why did you start it? And the sort of flippant answer I go, I was like, well, I felt like I wasn't learning enough and I wanted, I wanted a project that would help me learn the things I want to do, which is write, report, figure out a voice, put something together. But... I felt like this was something that was distinctly mine and I felt like I was there is like this sort of like ball of feeling that this ball of energy that's in your chest and that like when you write something that feels like what you're supposed to be putting out that anxiety ball kind of just peters out that was the feeling that I got writing Cod Pod was that like I had things to say I had like feelings that I wanted to get on paper and Hoppa was the only way that I could get that feeling out of my body for a while. And then, like, the news that it goes out, I feel good for about two hours, and it comes back. I'm like, shit, I got to do it again. <laughs> so that was sort of, it was, it was just kind of, I just compulsively kept doing it every week as a result. So that thing felt like you. How much of that do you think was, like, you were going into these, like, startup media organizations yeah. about which, just knowing you, I have to think that you were, like, somewhat skeptical. Yeah. You you are like you were skeptical of that exact thing. Okay, I was skeptical, but when you don't have anything else, and you just needed a fucking job, you would swallow your skepticism, right? I'm not gonna if did I. You, but seriously, did you do that when you were working there? Did you swallow your skepticism? I did, because like I needed the money, like I needed to stay here, and like maybe this doesn't reflect well on my character, but I would swallow a ton of shit, like if I needed to, like stay alive or like stay in the game right but but those two things are slightly different like sure there there were if you had said like writing this newsletter is what i want to be doing right and i'm going to get a job waiting tables right because that will pay the bills and it allows my whole brain to focus on this other thing but that's not where you went like you worked at bi and then buzzfeed and then slate uh panoply panoply yeah like you were you you were like swimming in those waters somewhat by choice. Yeah. And my again, like my experience of you is that you were pretty skeptical of them while you were there. But you don't you feel like I, you like were able to put that to the side? I was the only place that I was really skeptical and that it kind of festered to the forefront of my brain and that it began sort of disengaging from like drinking the Kool-Aid. Because I, I think there's a part of me that just wants a Kool-Aid. Like that like I want something to believe in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I want a flag under which I can put on a uniform and serve. Weirdly, that's an impulse that I have that's really strong for me. So when I was at Business Insider, 
I was skeptical about the conditions under which I was working because like I didn't know the as much effort as I put into the job where it would go for me personally. I wanted to believe that if I worked hard enough that something would happen, that I could believe in this mission. Same goes with BuzzFeed, which at the time was a very desirable media job, right? Like yeah. a, a lot of good gigs, especially when you're entry level like myself. Like you just you just wanted a place where it felt like you were on this ride and it'll get you somewhere hopefully. Maybe like it'll help you learn or whatever. But by the time I landed on into Panoply, in which I was not holding it like a journalism job, it was ostensibly audience development, which is in hindsight, I'm so sorry, Andy Bowers, a bullshit <laughs> job title. Uh, Wait, why? Because I didn't figure it out. I, I reached out after I got fired from BuzzFeed because actually I had a really informative conversation in between those two jobs. After BuzzFeed, I was poking around trying to figure out what I was going to do in my life. And for some reason, somebody said, you should talk to Corey Sika. Uh, and I sent him an email, and, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember this conversation. I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember who I am. And I visited him when it was still the all. Yeah, right around the corner. Right around the corner. That's why I kind of have a, kind of warm associations with this spot in New York. Uh, and uh, we like hung out, and I was just this like idiot kid looking for advice that I did not know what kind of advice I needed. And I was really looking. I was just looking for some guidance. And he kept going on and on. He's like, "You should work for yourself. It's the best thing in the world." And uh, I took that advice, I internalized it, but I didn't act on it. And uh, I ended up going for a panoply job because I, I just needed health benefits at the time. That was like some stuff that I was going through. And so I, I wrote to Andy Bowers, and, and the rationalization in hindsight now is that like, and maybe it was true at the time, I wanted to see what it was like on the inside of these things because I was writing about podcasts for quite a bit at that time. And I wanted to know what it was like in the, on the inside. And we had sort of cut some sort of deal, which was like, you can keep writing a newsletter. Of course, you would put in disclaimers when you write about panoply and stuff, but like, you know, you would do your job, which is... Just so everyone who's listening is clear. So you were working at like, what at the time was like one of the biggest podcast companies. Sure, yeah. And also you were like the main person covering podcasts. Right. How do you, how do like, how can you do that? I. How do you do well, that? I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I actually mean that in like a practical way. Yeah. Like, like, how did you work for a place that was literally in the newsletter like every week? How do you do that? What were the rules? I have no fucking idea. How did you not lose your mind? I did lose my mind. Like, I'm losing my mind right now. <laughs> do you not think that there's some conflict of ethical interest of me, like, hanging out here and giving you this interview when I'm supposed to also be covering you guys? Like, it's weirdly fluid, but, like, I, in the, maybe this is fictitious, maybe this is delusional, but I did commit myself to some version of the truth, which is... When I think that the company is doing something weird or something that I like, I feel like is strategically strange, I will say it to the best of my ability in the most tactful way possible. But what about when you are like sitting in a meeting and someone proposes an idea that is like technically strange, right. that is not yet public knowledge, right? Then you just like you sit on that one. I do. I did sit on that one. I think I did. Again. It seems I, hard, man. It was incredible. I just like how <laughs> yeah, are you yeah, like no. not shaped like a pretzel all the time? Max, I, I am shaped like a pretzel all the time. I, I'm a fucking open nerve. Like, yeah, you're, I, you're like an ethical pretzel. Uh-huh, yeah. Which is why I'm probably unemployable anywhere. <laughs> well, I, want, I, I do want to talk about like the business of this, but when did you leave Panoply? 2000. I, I incorporated Hotpot in 2016, which means I must have left earlier that year. Did you leave of your own volition or did you get I canned? Did. Uh, I did leave of my own volition. I had just gone on a raise and then I left. Really? Yeah. Was it scary? Yeah. All I knew is that I had this feeling that I needed to do this now because if I wasn't going to do it now, I was never going to do it. It wasn't It wasn't because you felt like someone else was going to do it. it. It felt a bit like that. A bit like I built this thing. This thing is going well, I think. It's getting feedback loops in an interesting way. It's giving me a platform to do the things that makes me feel good and, and that I feel like I'm really learning. It's dealing with the uh, ball of energy in your chest? Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm not going to figure out how to build a business around it, I would probably be a failure and I'll be stuck in this weird conundrum for for a long time. And so I should just bite the bullet and leave now. Um, and it was, I remember it was like a four week process for me to like really, like the feeling that I should start a business to starting the business, to leaving, filing my two weeks and then starting the business. Yeah, again, like I worked from this ball of feeling and it was just like another ball of anxiety of like, 
you should fucking do it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sh- I need, I need the health insurance. No, 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 no. You should fucking do it. And then, I, and then I did it. It's probably irresponsible. And I didn't have health care for a while. It was weird. It was really weird. When did it stop getting weird? I think the only way to, the best way to phrase that question is when did it start getting less weird? Because it's still weird. It's weird not having somebody to tell you what to do. Yeah. But independent of that, I mean, independent of um, not having someone to tell you what to do, has it been, have these last three years, have they been fun? Yeah. You've enjoyed yourself? To a point. What do you like about it? What's been fun? What's been fun is watching this community that felt like it had very little suddenly have something and finding ways of like using that as a way to explore other ideas like most recently right I'm starting to think I'd read a lot more about unions because of this wave of unionizations is happening and it's fun to be on the ground level of something because you know if I started a newsletter covered a movie industry or something or something established I would have to understand all this lore right all this traditions these people these mythologies and i had to sort of understand it and, and be subservient to it and, and work to it there's none of that with this. <laughs> there's, like you know all the lore i know it, it has helped reinforce the sense that, that a lot of the mythologies are bullshit and that these are stories that we tell because they are really fascinating forms of collective power uh of cultural identity and power and so like i was so in love with the idea of like when will, when will we get our first mythology? Oh, we got it. Cyril, right? Like, that was our first mythology. And so what happens after that? And then who, who are these players coming in? And then, but, you know, and then sort of the story changes year over year. So I think at the beginning of Hot Pod, it was a lot about, like, oh, that guy's doing something. That guy's doing something. There's this new show. It's interesting. It has never done this thing before. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. And then it got, like, to this sort of, like, business creation. I think kind of like the first wave of businesses, like, you guys started and, you know, transmitter started and panoply started and, and gimlet started and then I, I felt like I followed this cohort. And then now I think in the early two thousand nineteen, I think we're beginning at the end of this narrative arc. And I think we're going to something a little different. And that to me is interesting, intellectually, like from a reportorial perspective, figuring out those questions of where do these platforms go, where does these legacy media companies where how do they sort of come into this ecosystem? These are also really interesting questions to me. But the ball of anxiety changes right like it's i feel like i'm carving certain kinds of stories now which i'm like it doesn't really scratch that itch and I, and I feel like i'm in the middle of this transitional phase where i'm like what are the kinds of stories here or are there still stories here that will help me scratch that itch my gut is that there are but i don't really know until i really find it so you feel like the itch is getting scratched less now than it once was or the ways that i was scratching it is not as useful as it once was at to find other ways to scratch it. This has happened before, I would have to say. You're bored? No, I don't think I'm bored necessarily. I think I am disappointed. <laughs> In who? I thought there would be more new. And now it feels like there's a lot of old. And I think there are ways in which I can find that interesting. And I should say, setting that aside, that this is just the business stories. I still find like the work that I do with like New York Magazine uh, and Vulture that has that is always interesting to me. I'm like, oh, I get to talk to this producer who worked on the story, and and I just like that story because I still love listening to shit. Like I, I do it all the time. Like that's kind of why I'm still here. I would have left and become a fucking farmer or something. I don't know. But the business stories are getting a little bit rote, and I'm not so sure if it's the ecosystem or if it's me like I would have to find new things that sort of like inspire me about it how do you balance being a business reporter yeah and a cultural critic like how do you balance reviewing shows while you're also hearing from the people who financed those shows it's a really good question um I will preface this by saying that I actually don't think that I'm a reporter and I'm very hesitant I report but I, I'm hesitant to affiliate myself with the tribe you know um well, okay well what are you then I'm just the guy who puts shit out in a newsletter I don't know what I did I don't know I, I like I really do not know like what I'm supposed to be 
but like I, I'm very hesitant to like say that I'm a journalist. I say it sometimes, like when people ask me when they try to ask me for like quote so that I can get quoted in, in like well, this is stuff. But this this is the thing I'm interested in, Nick. Is like yeah, how do you how do you in your own brain like put up the walls or the lines so you can run a business, mm-hmm. write this newsletter, which involves a lot of news. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say you're like a reporter, but there's news in the newsletter mm-hmm. that you can't get elsewhere. There's like analysis. Mm-hmm. And then you're also writing these reviews for Vulture that are purely like critical. They're like movie reviews. Mm-hmm. And then also... You're also just like talking to everyone in this industry all the time. Yeah. Like your inbox is like uh, the proverbial like water cooler or whatever. Yeah. How do you find a way to wear all those different hats without A, like going insane. Yeah. And B, like maintaining trust with your various constituencies in all those different worlds. I, I can tell you how I practically physically do it. Which I think is a little, it's a separate story from like the emotional process. The practical aspect of this is that I have a trust in, in a concept, which is if you show you're working and if you, if you are committed to like being fair and that you, that you keep working, there is a trust with the community that read Hotpod that is part of this industry that I am being honest and fair and that when I choose to pursue certain stories and when I choose not to pursue certain stories it's because like I have made sort of a judgment that like every week when I put something together this is what I feel like is important for people to know and that my entire end game here my gambit is to help and inform which isn't necessarily the same of like you know, one thing that I always say is that like I'm not scoopy and that like I, I try not to break news if I can help it because that is A, not interesting to me, and B, like, it doesn't serve what I'm trying to do, which is to contextualize things and to, like, analyze things. I want to see, like, the full picture. I sometimes when it scoops, that's kind of cool. Like, it, I, I like the rush and the thrills. It's kind of fun. But it's always, there's always this sort of denouement that happens after <laughs> when I want to do these newsletters. And I'm like, I feel like I missed the big picture. Well, there, there's this other element too, right? There's one more hat also, which is that you are running a business. The business is driven by newsletter subscriptions. Mm-hmm. I assume that's like your biggest revenue source. Yeah, that's like 70%. Yeah. I also imagine that some significant portion mm. of that 70% is people who work in the industry paying. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of them. Uh-huh. I pay for your subscription. Thank I you just for your got, money. I just got re-upped 70 bucks. Oh, hell yeah. And that's the other question, which is like, the livelihood of your business is also dependent on the people you're covering Mm -hmm. to some degree. Yeah. So I hear you about like, if you're just fair and legit, people will stick with you. Yeah. Sounds like a bullshit answer, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. This is also goes a little bit back to like why I try not to affiliate myself with like journalism or being a reporter. Um, That answer is actually bullshit. That I don't affiliate myself with? I think that's a dodge. Let me tell you, let's, let's lean into this. Let's lean into this lane. I feel a tremendous amount of guilt when I say I'm a journalist because I fucked it up so badly once. I fucked it up so badly once. You mean like when you got fired? Yeah. That I like did the one thing you're not supposed to fucking do. Yeah, but it's also really convenient if you can say I'm not a journalist. 1,000%. Because it allows you to go and do a bunch of other stuff. But like... Well, here's my thinking on it. All right, I mean, my, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You have literally said to me, Yeah. please let me break that news. Yeah. The actual words that you have said to me. Yeah. That is uh, journalism, my friend. Wait, do journalists actually ask people, please let me bring that news? All the time. Because I feel like when I read that, I was like being very, very just sort of like childlike about it. Yeah, I think whether whether it's more subtle or not, like that is how sources and reporters talk to each other. That is like, that's how the sausage is made, my friend. Is that how Woj does it? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that is the Um, source of the Woj bomb. I was basically just saying, like, I can understand your impulse to sort of distance yourself from being a journalist, yeah. but I think that it is not simply, potentially, just about your guilt of having fucked up that newsletter gig at BuzzFeed like five years ago. Yeah. And it might also be that, like, 
you sort of can't say that if you're going to wear all these different hats. Here's another way of looking at it. Yeah. And maybe this is bullshit. I don't know. Let's let's try to explore this. Um, one of the side effects of being on media Twitter is that you're privy to endless ongoing narratives about what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to do as a journalist, right? There, there is a code, as you refer to. There's a tradition. And that tradition applied to a class and a tribal journalist that came up from a different time, a lot of ways, and that we are in a very transitional, disruptive moment in which we're trying to figure out how the applications of those code applies to 2019, which is it's not exactly one-to-one. I, I am my own employer. I do 50,000 different things. I don't know how to answer the question of how do you apply those codes without just ramming my face straight through into the wall and figuring it out on the run because I have no fucking time. Because I need to pay the bills, I need to keep doing the job, I need to keep feeding the beast, and I keep needing to commit to the original vision, which is, I'm going to be fair, I'm going to try to be fair as much as I can. And I'm just going to hope that this works out and that people trust me over the long term, because I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to take sides necessarily, I, have a, I, have, I take my own side, I take the side of the stuff that I believe in. If you don't <laughs> believe in the same thing, like people in the fiction podcast community hate me because I have a very strong feelings about just not liking a lot of the genre, that kind of shit, you know? And like, I just, I don't have an answer for that question of how do I wear those many hats because it's hard to do the thing while being outside of the thing sometimes. And and I think if I just overthought it too much, I would self-destruct more so than I right now. But I, I don't know. It's really hard for me to step outside and, and see that and answer that question cleanly, I think. That's a better answer. I buy that one a lot more. Yeah, no, but what do you think? I think that's mostly it. We are living in a moment in which the code is changing. And part of what is changing is that you can go it alone. Like you have built a business and an audience by yourself. There's no one mediating it at all, which also means that you need to do the business side too. Right. I think that the sort of concept of church and state historically in publications is um, a little bit more fluid than people want to believe it is. Right. And you are a one-person publication. And so you are sitting on both sides of that line. And ultimately, I think it is about like, it's not just trust with your audience necessarily. It's like, it. it I guess you just said this, it is like trust with the community, I guess. And so the next question is whether there have been moments as you have tried to navigate this and like, take a gig with Vulture, sell Hot Pod to Neiman Lab. Like, I don't think Neiman Lab has somebody, but... <laughs> well, oh, I mean, like, like let Neiman, Neiman yeah, Lab yeah, reprint no. your newsletter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, be getting tips and embargoes on one end and then analyzing what's coming on the other. Mm. Have there been moments where you feel like you have crossed whatever internal line you've set? Like, have there been moments where you have published something or not published something, or told someone something, or not, and felt like, nah, that didn't feel quite right. Yeah, a lot of times. Um, and what do you do then? I feel really bad about it, but I do my job, <laughs> which is the beast needs to be fed. The newsletters needs to go out on Tuesday, and then Thursday and Friday for paid members, because if I don't do this, nobody else is going to do this. There is no day off that I can take um, um, other than the two weeks I'm about to take right now, which I'm trusting it to the person I've subcontracted and pray to God that it works out okay. But like, I can't, I can't let it stop me because there's just, I don't know what happens if I stop. If I, I know what happens if I stop. I just don't want to see what it's like. When I stop, it just means I lose subscribers and it means that like I'm not, I'm going to lose my livelihood and that I have to figure something out all over again. And so there is like a weird kind of survivalist feeling and it on the one hand is really feeds into I think primarily the headspace that like I'm drawn to which is every moment matters everything really really matters everything really counts I just have to like breathe like this uh, and then alternating between that and being just god awful exhausted and wishing that all this would be over and that one day somebody would come out and say you have made too many mistakes you are not the right guy to do this give up the keys, go lie down for a couple of years, you're done. <laughs> and I feel like any day now, somebody's going to come right around the corner and do that. And I go, and I and I don't know if I want that to happen. Sometimes I feel like I do. But I think the fact that I still have continued doing this thing 
in what feels like an unsustainable rate. And let me tell you, it is unsustainable. Like I physically unsustainable. Yeah, physically, mentally, and I would like to like care about more things in addition to this. Do you care about this more or less than when you started? I care about it more. And I think that's why it's harder. It's because I feel like I'm not covering it the right way anymore. Yeah. Because the everything's changed. And Hotbot is not structured right now to adequately cover those changes and, and cover the stories in a way that it should. And I know it gives me some agita. Um, and I... But also, again, and I'm sort of at this point where I'm like, am I good enough? Like, am I, am I built for this? What do you think? I think I'm going to go on a two-week vacation. <laughs> and I figure it out. I don't know. Of all these different things you're doing, right? Vulture, writing the newsletter, um, not having a boss, actually having a business, like building a business. What's the thing that you take the most um, pride in? Very wife guy answer that I get to control my time and I get to to build spaces to like be with my wife and just hang out and stuff and like when I do that I'm not worried that I'll get an email of like you need to do this right now that's just been like every time that I kind of go like should I go in a house somewhere should I sell the company but then again you could kind of just like bolt on a Thursday afternoon because like you just need a break that's kind of great so the thing that you take the most pride in is like having created a situation for yourself in which you only answer to yourself. Basically, yeah. Except you also feel like it is physically and mentally killing you. Absolutely. <laughs> An impossible situation. <laughs> so you have like a uh, tremendous freedom and with that freedom you have chosen to kill yourself. Basically. Uh, well, I I don't know what makes me happy. <laughs> I don't know if there's a way to do this in a way that I feel like I'm not looking behind my shoulder and feel like I'm justified in doing this. Does that make sense? I feel like I got away from scam. What What is the scam? The money part or the like influence part? Because here's the thing. I, I don't think about influence very much. That's also something we should talk about at some point. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty interested in that. Because yeah. now being a part of the podcasting world, mm-hmm. Like you come up in conversations, right? Like when you're thinking about how to get attention for a project, how to get Nick to write about it is a thing. People have said this in my presence before and I have the same emotional reaction every time, which is I get like a, like a tight squeeze in my chest. It's embarrassing and terrifying that that's the case. Because it's to some point, I still haven't really let go of the fact that this is not a side project anymore. It's embarrassing and terrifying? Yeah. Why? It's embarrassing because that for some reason, because I don't actually, when I write, I don't think about what other people are going to think about the words that I'm putting out of paper. To some extent, I do nowadays, which is like, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not being unfair again. I'm not being sort of flippant about certain situations. But like when I lay a judgment or like when I'm thinking about selecting a show, I don't want to think about like, oh, what do they think about me picking up that show? I just want to pick up that fucking show because like I'm interested and I want to write about it. And so it's embarrassing to me that my choices are being talked about. Does that make sense? Not really. I mean... It's embarrassing to you because you think you're not thinking about it in the way that other people are, so there's some gap there? I To some extent. It's funny because I feel like the circular link here is that early on in this conversation I said like, and it is remains true that one of my primary sort of like primal motivating factors is that like I'm, I'm afraid that I don't matter. But when I come up to the point of like mattering somewhat in these conversations, maybe that this is not actually an expression of mattering. I feel really just sort of like, oh, that's this is that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I mean that's that is what I'm driving at is like, and I, and I feel like you and I should just like uh, whatever break whatever wall there is. Like we have been having a conversation off and on mm-hmm. for years, in which I feel like essentially the nature of the conversation is you being like, I am not very satisfied yeah. with my professional life, yeah, and me being like, 
if at any other point in your professional life I had told you you would be at this place, you would have been juiced. Is it psyched? Yeah, you would have been psyched. Yeah. You would have been you would have been like, I'll take that. That's a that is a great outcome. Yeah. And yet when you get there, you are dissatisfied. Yes. Like we started this conversation with you saying when I showed up in New York, yes. what I wanted to do is make a mark. Yeah. You pinpointed a thing you cared about, which was this like emerging industry, found a path within it in which in a pretty short amount of time, like a handful of years, yeah. you have not just made a mark, but become literally the place that, like, that people feel like they have to be mentioned or written about for it to matter. And that feels embarrassing. Why aren't you psyched? Why aren't I psyched? Yeah. I think I'm questioning the mark. If that makes sense. You don't believe the mark. I believe the mark. It's more like... It's some combination of... Was the mark big enough? Is the mark enough? What's the answer? If I wasn't being foolish, I would tell you, and I was being very clear and honest with myself, I would say the answer is no. But at the same time, I know it's incredibly irresponsible for me to not be grateful. And like, I feel like a fucking asshole of like not appreciating what I have. But I... I want more. <laughs> I don't I don't really know what it means. What do you want? I don't know. Do you think that on some level, potentially? Yeah. Not being satisfied is like the only way to do what you're doing. Like again, let's go back to like that coffee <laughs> in twenty fourteen. You know, you really were. Like you were ambitious, wanted to make a mark, wanted to find a path here. Yeah. Tomorrow you're leaving. How many subscribers does Hop Out have? We will touch probably 20K, sorry, non-paid subscribers. We'll be touching like 20K by the end of next month, I think. All right. Just to uh, detour quickly, mm. how do the finances of HotPad work? Like, uh, are you rich now? Define rich. Am I in want? Sure. No, I'm fine. But am I rich enough to be like, I done made it, kid? No, far from it. How much money do you make from HotPad? Uh, your annually brings six figures a little, annually brings about like 150. And that's before like the merit site projects that I do. How do you feel about that? It's not enough. Not enough. I don't know. One day, like, don't you get parent? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's like an Asian parenting thing, but I'm saving for like when I have a spleen problem <laughs> and like health issues not going to cut it. There's, I, I don't. My parents raised me to like really, really plan for the worst. And so like I just I'm just hoarding money so that like nothing bad happens. What's the most you made as a salary? Most I made is fifty seven. That was at Panoply. So your last gig, you made basically a third of what you're making now. Yeah. I think. All right. So you twenty fourteen wanted to make a mark, make mm-hmm. some money. Yeah. When did you leave Panoply? Twenty sixteen? So you're three plus years into making enough money to live. Yeah. And making a mark, 20,000 people subscribing to this thing. You're going get, to get on this uh, yeah. road trip tomorrow. And your inbox is still going to be churning. People are going to be pitching you and asking you Press to weigh in. New platforms, new shows. New York Post apparently has a podcast now. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, the things happened. I think almost like um, indisputably the things happened. But the question is like, is the act of disputing it like the the fuel that makes it possible for you to do it. Yeah. Because now you're leaving and again you're like I don't really know what I want but I know I want it to be big. Fuck. <laughs> Is that not true? No, that's, t- that's not a thousand percent true. I feel like the, the entire process of this journey has been like again to return to the ball of anxiety. There's this itch like that I, th- I think to some extent I'm in love with the concept of momentum. Just sheer velocity, just keep moving. Um, it's painful, it's punishing. I am 
physically worse off for it. I'm like, I have really bad shoulder pains, but, and like, I feel like if I stop moving, something will fall and something will break and I'm over. And it's a horrible feeling. Is that, do you not have that? Like, does, do people not like, do people not have that? Do you think that you are um, happier than you were in 2014? Do you think that you're um, more or less guilty than you were in 2014? I feel more guilty. I didn't know a lot in 2014. I feel like I still don't know a ton, but like because, you know, like how 10% of wisdom can actually be much worse than zero. That's where I am. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like I just know enough to know that I'm a complete shithead and that like it hurts because I'm supposed to be better than this. But I haven't achieved enough wisdom to not be a shithead. Why does it have to be so bad though? Like why does... You tell me like I have no fucking idea. <laughs> no, but I mean that's what I'm saying is like wh- why does knowing that you don't know what you're doing have to be so terrible? I... It, it has to do with the fact that like I rejected a script like yeah maybe if I did like go to the UK and be a lawyer and I'm a lawyer like in Earth 52 like so you're just comparing yourself to like successful lawyer. not even successful like that that guy in this alternate Nick Qua has a job like has a purpose which is like serve your fucking community at the place you come from this Nick Qua this universe is on a boat <laughs> like and can't take marching orders, desires marching orders, does not know his script, does not know his, like, purpose, and does not have a story. He He's still a stranger to himself, like, has no history. Like, most people that pass through my life here, with the exception of my wife and some friends, they do not know who pre-2008, before he got off the fucking plane in Newark, the first time he experienced America, Nikwa, Nobody has any clue who that guy is. And there's, if I'm still having trouble connecting the two. And it's like, and it's, you know, and, and it's like, that's kind of hard. What would that guy think of this guy? That guy will look at this guy and go, that, you're doing some cool things, guy. But this guy looks at that guy and goes, you have no fucking idea what any of this feels like. This looks cool. This feels bad. <laughs> Do you know what I'm <laughs> It feels bad. That's how it feels to you. It 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 feels bad. Yeah, it feels like I have. I still haven't. I still don't know if I justified what I did. Not sure you're gonna totally like get an answer on that one. That's that's the problem, isn't it? It's one way of looking at it. <laughs> the I know I know that the truth of life is not what it is, but how you look at it, but. Uh, I think short of getting on four flights a year to go back to Malaysia, like I'm I'm nowhere near the beginning the process of like really like solving that problem for me, I think. Well, I hope that at some point on this drive Yeah. You're gonna be with your wife. You guys have like a cat? No, we're gonna get a cat. You're gonna get a cat? Yeah. Alright. Well you and your wife, no cat, future cat gonna be in your car it's gonna be like stuffed to the gills with shit i yep. assume yep i hope it feels like all right at some point on that drive me too <laughs> can we talk about one more thing before you go please i feel like we should talk quickly this has been so earnest i feel like we should talk quickly about pettiness oh can we talk quickly about pettiness you know that i'm like a very petty person right i do yes yeah well that's been a funny part of like um uh, a funny part of your life that i i feel like i don't understand very well is like just your inbox and like what you must hear from people. Like you're putting this stuff out in the world about the podcasting industry. Yeah, yeah. So like writing about these people and then hearing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine some pretty petty things. Like I assume that people talk shit to you. Oh my God. It's like close to like 75% of the correspondences I get. It's like somebody talking shit about another person. Do you like it? I love it. <laughs> I don't tell, I don't, I like, I, it's my little secret. Like I, I get to keep it. That's like my, that's what I get. But yeah, you're like a whole industry's therapist. 
Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's unfortunately to some extent that's true. Yeah, but um, I do get like a little nervous that like it clouds my judgment, which is why like I try to really buck against like courting that. But it's like can't, it's like little gummy bears, man. It's just can't help it. And but it, it it's nice because like it really feels it like reinforces the fact that like this shit matters to people. It's very emotional. It's very emotional. Like all this money is in final place, all these like Hollywood development deals, people have to get a lot of talk about that. But that's the podcasting that's the thing that's so interesting about what's happening with podcasting. It's like there's almost nobody who's in it right now who didn't get into it for purely emotional reasons. Purely just because they like loved audio. Mm. And now there's all this money around it. Mm. So it's all these people who started doing something for emotional reasons yeah. that now think maybe there's like a lot of money in it. There are golds in these heels. Yeah. Yeah. That just seems like uh, like just like the perfect ingredients for pettiness. <laughs> <laughs> the chef's kiss? No, like I, I don't know if this is pettiness, but like the thing I'm reckoning these days a lot is like anger. Um, the thing that I look for, the thing that like makes me go like, yes, like the, the fleeting moments in which I feel like I'm unquestionably happy being on this earth is that when I consume something so good, it makes me angry. It doesn't happen a ton. I feel I feel like the last time I did that was like like, flea bag or something I was like why can't it feel this way all the time and the thing that I feel like really angry about is like a lot of the stuff that's being put out right now just doesn't feel like it's thoughtful or considerate and like you're asking me to give up an hour of my life that I could spend doing anything else to consume something that's half considered or done for purely utilitarian business reasons fuck you Um, if you're gonna mount an enterprise make it worth it um, I don't know. I, I have that feeling a lot these days <laughs> as a side effect of the industry growing up and being very muddied right now. But like, I, I at some point, I think this will pay off. You worried about like um, independent podcast producers? I think they're worried about themselves, but I'm not worried about independent podcast producers. No. Why not? Sure, it's harder for you to break out more so than it was two, three years ago. That might not have to do very much about the money. That might just have to do with the numbers, right? There's just more people making stuff, and so it's hard to stand out. But like, if you're good, there's nothing really structurally preventing you from bubbling up. Still, I really do believe that, and I know that this is a topic of endless debate, but they're all wrong, because you can still pop. I, I am, to an extent, worried about the business model part of it, because like it's, I think it's harder. There's a lot of trends towards like advertising. We don't really know what the money's going to, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like back then we were complaining about there not being enough money in the first place. Now we're complaining about the money being captured in different places. But no, as long as there's money, you can still access it. You just have to find the right buckets. It's kind of what business is. Not everyone wants to be a business person. Not everyone wants to be a business person. Some people uh, want to be screenwriters, Nick. Some people want to be screenwriters. Not business people. No. Some people made other choices. Some people made bad choices. (laughs) You don't. You don't really think it was a bad choice. Uh, deep down inside, I know it's not a bad choice, but like I still feel a tremendous amount of guilt about it. And that's like the whole thing about this, like this uncomfortableness is that like I want, I want somebody, I want something to like let me know that this was worth that this like this is okay, like this is this is fine. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe the original sin was like like seeing that info session like pamphlet. Like, if I never knew that this was a possibility. Because I genuinely did not consider coming to the States until I sat in that fucking info session. You would have seen a pamphlet in London. (sighs) You were looking for pamphlets, man. Pamphlet didn't find you. (laughs) You found pamphlet. (laughs) You found pamphlet. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Thank you for doing this, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Mac Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Janelle Pfeiffer, and our intern is Marina Clementi. Thanks to them. Thanks to our sponsors. MailChimp, Pit Writers, the app Autumn, which allows you to listen to long-form journalism wherever you are, audio versions of the articles you need to read, and Bear. And thanks uh, most of all to Nick for taking some time before he moved out west I really do think that he is a uh, he's a unique media entity. There are not a lot of one-person shops that have real readership, have built a real business, have events, and all of this stuff 
Uh, It's just, uh, it's super impressive what he's done, and I wish him the best of luck. We'll see you next week. Before we go, a quick word from Bear. When we challenge what hasn't been done, we discover the science behind what's yet to come. That's what drives Bear to find even better answers to today's best agriculture solutions. They're working with farmers to shape what's next, farms where all life grows together, tools that help plants and farmers use less water. Bear, science for a better life. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.